God has a purpose for each and every individual whom he saves. We can speak of that purpose in general terms, of bringing honor and glory to God, and we can speak of those purposes in very specific and unique terms as to what God would have each of us do in our lives with our giftedness and with the places in which he has placed us. Regardless, we need to see as the main goal of our lives to accomplish that purpose for which God has saved us. To achieve the purpose for God saving us despite the cost or the opposition. That's our theme this morning. Achieving the purpose of God in saving us despite the cost or opposition. We're going to just work our way through the text this morning, verse by verse, in a very orderly fashion. And we begin with the admonition to work to achieve the purpose for which God has saved us. We're to work for, to achieve God's purpose, even when our spiritual leader is not present. In Philippians 2.12, it says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence. The Philippians have been faithfully serving God. Now Paul admonishes them to continue on being obedient to God, even though the spiritual leader is not present. There's always a danger that we become overly dependent upon our spiritual leaders, that we look to them for too much support and uh, encouragement. It is important that we remain faithful to God whether or not our spiritual leaders are present. For we are particularly vulnerable at those particular times. But we want to emphasize that we are each to strive to accomplish the purpose for which God has saved each one of us. Notice in verse 12 it says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, and now these are the words that we're focusing on, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. This is not an admonition to work for your salvation. He is not encouraging them, them to earn their salvation or to merit their salvation or to obtain their salvation. They're not trying to be saved. But rather, it is teaching us that we are to work out the purpose that God has in saving us. There's to be an outworking of our salvation. We're going to see in the next verse that God is at work within us both to will and to do his good pleasure. That working of God within us to will and do his good pleasure is to be worked out by us. We are to take those, that inner resource of his causing us both to will and to do to actually now will and do. We are to work out, we are to bring out, we are to manifest 
the working of God in our individual lives. What God is doing inwardly now needs to be manifest outwardly. It is to be apparent to all, to us and to those that are around about us. We are to achieve God's purpose despite any hardship that may come as a result. For notice at the end of the verse, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. What is it that we are to fear, or it might be better said, who is it that we are to fear? Many commentators at this point reply, well, we are to fear God, and we are to fear falling short of his purpose for us, Therefore, we are to work out our salvation with fear and, and trembling. Now, personally, I don't think it is God that's in view here, uh, but rather I think it's mankind. Mankind. There is a, a unique parallel. If you turn with me in your, your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 27. We spent a good bit of time in these verses. And let me read them again to you. Start in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Very similar to work out your salvation. Worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or absent, I may hear, now notice, same idea, whether I'm present or absent, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. So the, these parallels are very significant. And he's telling them in verse 28 that they're not to be frightened in anything by their opponents. For that is a sign of their salvation. Now he is saying to them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a process that's going on here. They are to move from fear and trembling to a place of fearlessness. But in this time of fear and trembling, they are not to throw up their hands. They are not to despair. They are not to give up. They are not to quit. But rather they are to be keeping on, keeping on. They are to be persevering, even in the midst of their fears and their concerns. Just as an athlete is encouraged to work through his pain, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to keep on working through their fears. Notice how there's the progression. Go back to Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Philippians 1, 18. What then? Only then in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is by eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, 
Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. See the, the, the progress here. Paul is saying, I know that this is going to turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit. So that I won't be ashamed, but I will have courage. I will be fearless. I will be able to live or die for Christ because of your prayers and because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul is now commending them to do as he has done. For he says in verse 30 of chapter 1, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I am. He's saying, live like me. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I know that I will not be ashamed. I know I will have courage because of your prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit. So now he says to them, you work out your salvation. You do what God has called you to do. You live as, as God would have you to live. May you say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And work through your fears. How? The same way Paul did. Through prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit. So how do we work out our salvation? By prayer. By prayer. Taking our fears to God. Taking our concerns to God. Acknowledging the difficulties that we are going to face. Even as Peter, when told not to preach the gospel any longer, gathered together with the other apostles. They prayed, and remember the, the room was shaken as the Holy Spirit emboldened them. We are to be emboldened by the Holy Spirit as a result of our prayers. So when it's telling us to work out our salvation, it's not saying pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's saying rely upon God, the one who's already at work in you. Or notice number two, we can accomplish God's purpose in saving us because God will provide both the desire and enablement to accomplish his work. The desire comes from God, verse 13. For it is God. Notice the word for. You can translate that because. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you. He works inside of you to do two things, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you are to work out that which he's doing inside of you, which is to will to do his good pleasure and to work and to strive for his good pleasure. The enablement comes from God. He is the one who both initiates and completes this work within us. Notice the progression in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. He who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Christ. He who began this willing and doing is going to continue it until he comes. Therefore, work out your salvation. Therefore, rely upon God. Therefore, accomplish the purpose for which he has saved you. Whether your spiritual leader is with you or not. We are to seek his help through prayer and 
the work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are to serve him gladly. Notice verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. There are a number of allusions at this point to our, in our text to the children of Israel. And so we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament. And uh, this passage will become much more clear as we look at a number of, of passages. The first we're going to turn to is Numbers chapter 14. And you need to keep your finger there because we're going to come back to it. Numbers 14. Picking up on this idea of verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Numbers 14, starting in verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, and were complaining, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Is that why God had brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt? To die by the sword in the wilderness? Is that what God's will was? Is that what God's intention was? Is that what the Spirit of God was about and accomplishing? No. The Spirit of God was leading them to the promised land. But they grumbled. And they complained. And they questioned whether the Spirit of God was at work or things weren't going as they had anticipated. Notice verse 4 of Numbers 14. And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. They said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we possessed... Pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Now verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See the parallel? The Lord is with us. Therefore, don't be afraid. Work through your fears. Rely upon God. Meet the temptation head on. See the test. And, of course, the children of Israel were unwilling to inherit the promised land. They rebelled against God. For they did not Trust him. Let's continue on with our text. We'll come back. Keep your finger here. Our joyful service sets us apart from the people of the world. We are to live in such a way that no charge can be brought against us, in verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. That simply means non-chargeable, 
whether that be before God or man. And that we are not to be contaminated by those around about us. Verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's look at two passages to unpack that. To live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 32. You need to have a Bible that's got some ribbons in it or some old uh, pieces of paper or the bulletin or something. Keep a place here. Keep one in Deuteronomy and keep one in Numbers. Deuteronomy 32, starting at verse 1. Deuteronomy 32, starting at verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain. My speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. This crooked and twisted generation did not trust and rely upon God. Rather, they blasphemed. Rather, they spoke against God, failing to see his faithfulness, failing to see his goodness, failing to recognize what this passage is telling us in Philippians, that his spirit is at work within us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. He is leading us on a path. He has a purpose for our lives. So don't rebel against that purpose. Don't rumble and complain. Don't say, why did God save me just to put me into this mess? Why did God save me just so that my family would be a wreck? Why did God save me just so that I'd lose my job? Why did God save me just so that I could come down with cancer? Why did God save me and now look at what has happened? But realize that God is faithful. Realize that God is just. Realize that God is good. Realize that he is at work in you. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Realize that you are where you are in your life, not by accident. The children of Israel were not in the wilderness by accident. They were there by the will of God. And they were not to grumble and complain and wish that they could go back to Egypt. We're not to grumble and complain and wish that we could go back to being unsaved. <laughs> wish that we could go back to the time before we were a Christian. Oh, life was so much better then. Now that I've accepted Christ, look at all the misery I've got. No, no. We are not to grumble and complain. But rather... We're to be lights shining in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Notice verse 15 of chapter, I'm in now in Philippians 2.15 again. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, 
In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, we just looked at that, and now these words, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let's go back now to Numbers again. Numbers, starting with verse 1 of chapter 14, working through to verse 9. Then the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. Now look at the shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Look at the shining lights. Look at the stars. Verse 7. Excuse me. Uh, verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Japunah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they said to all the congregation of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Notice the difference. Notice how they're not whining and griping and complaining. They're saying, this is a good land that we're going to. The Lord has helped us. They are bringing honor and glory to God that they recognize that God has led them to this place. And not only that, but notice verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. Land flows with milk and honey. We can do this by God's grace. He will do it. Verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So in the midst of fear and trembling, in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation, all the people around you that are grumbling and complaining, all the people that are lamenting and wishing that life would be so different, be a star. Be a beacon pointing to the grace and mercy and goodness of God. Stand up and be a Caleb. Stand up and be a Joshua. Acknowledge God's grace in our lives. Acknowledge that God has led us to where we are. Acknowledge that God is still at work in us and that God will enable us to overcome our fears and to achieve the purpose for which he has saved us. Even as the children of Israel were brought out of the land of Israel to be taken into the promised land. Our joyful service sets us apart as the people of God. Our joyful service sets us apart as the people of God. 
Uh, I jumped ahead of myself. Let me go back. Uh, back to Philippians 2.15. So we're not to be contaminated by those around about, about us in this crooked and perverse generation. But rather we are to be sources of truth and light in this world. Verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I run in labor in, or in vain. Holding on to that life-giving word. Holding on to the promises of God. Realizing and remembering what God has said. God led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. Just keep that in view. Forget all this other stuff. And trust and rely on God. Don't be afraid. Be like a Joshua. Be like a Caleb. So, faithful service is always a cause for rejoicing. Paul is going to rejoice even if he dies in his service for the Lord. Look at verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. It's a nice way to say, even if I die, in my service for God, I'm going to glad and I'm going to rejoice. Why? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul's not going to murmur and complain as he sits in a prison. He's not going to murmur and complain even if it's going to mean that he is going to have to give his life. He doesn't anticipate that that's what's going to happen. But he says, even if I am to die as a sacrifice, I rejoice. I rejoice. I am grateful for God is at work. The purpose I would die for a sacrifice is as an offering of your faith. Meaning that he would be dying as an instrument of furthering their faith. Remember in chapter 1, Paul said because of his imprisonment, because of this, many have become emboldened to preach the gospel. We're back to this fearlessness thing again. Many have been emboldened to preach the gospel by his imprisonment. Paul says, if I die, it's going to be a sacrificial death to promote your faith. I'm going to teach you how to die. I'm going to be this shining light. I'm going to go before you and demonstrate what he says in chapter 1 about having courage and being fearless. I'm going to rejoice because I will have accomplished the purpose for which God has saved me. In Timothy, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the work. Paul says, if this is what God's will is for me, I'm not going to grumble. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to rejoice. For this is the very reason that God has saved me. He saved me to be a light to the Gentiles. He saved me to be a messenger of the gospel. 
He has saved me to be a helper of those who are a part of the faith. Therefore, I will rejoice. For this is the way in which I am going to achieve the purpose for which God has saved me. We ought to rejoice, no matter what the hardship, no matter what the cost, no matter what the difficulty, in fulfilling the purpose for which God has saved us. Generally speaking, to be a light. That's one thing we all have in common. Though our particular lives may be different, one thing that we should have in common is that we all ought to stand out as lights. And believe me, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb simply by not being a complainer and whiner. But by rejoicing in what God is doing in your life and being thankful for the inner strength that he gives, you're going to point the way for people to understand how they too can live a life that brings honor and glory to God. Be that beacon. Be that Joshua. Be that Caleb. Be that one that says, we don't have to submit to our fears, but we can rise above them. We can trust in God. We can do what he would have us to do. And then he says this in verse 18. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Two connotations there. First of all, they should view Paul's death the way he views it. If Paul dies, he says, I'm rejoicing and you ought to rejoice too. Why? Because I'm in a better place. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. We ought to say, Lord, how blessed Paul is. He's in your presence. We ought to rejoice. Why? Because you don't need me, he says. For you can stand fast whether I am with you or not with you. Therefore, don't lament. If I die, God will take you up. God will enable you. God will equip you. God will watch over you. God will protect you. If I die, you should rejoice. Why? Because he died in faith. He died with courage. He died in authenticity. He died believing what he proclaimed. And everyone could see it. Everyone knew it. For that which was at work in the inside became manifest to all, for he brought it out and displayed it. That's the challenge. The working of God that has already begun in us and bringing us to salvation, bringing us to faith in Christ, that willing and doing, that desiring, that's at work in each and every one of us if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. Deep down inside, if we know Christ is our Savior, there is this innate desire to bring glory to God. There's this recognition that we ought to be bringing praise to Him. Therefore, Achieve it through prayer and reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Let God accomplish in our lives what he saved us to accomplish. Let's be that beacon. Let's shine forth. May we each see God's enablement. May we strive to work out that salvation that is within us. Yes, even if there's fear and trembling, let's work through it 
and get to the victory side of which we can boldly proclaim and say through experience, even as Paul did, that he learned to have this faith and confidence in Jesus Christ so that now he can boldly say, may we get to the place where we can boldly say that God is at work within us and get past the murmuring and the complaining and the whining as to where we are now and say, we can be a light for our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, there are many different reasons that you have saved each and every one of us. Our lives have unique qualities to them. There are specific purposes, gifts that you've granted to each of us. Uh, Lord, your plan is not the same. Our life experiences are not identical. But there are some commonalities. One is that each one of us possess the Holy Spirit if we know the Lord Jesus as a Savior. You are at work in each and every one of us. Your will is being accomplished. Where we are in life is not just a mere product of our circumstances or luck or good luck, bad luck. But Lord, we are here sovereignly directed and ordained by an almighty God. Help us to rejoice today in what you're doing in our lives. Lord, help us to work through fears, whatever they may be, fear of death, fear of finances, uh, fear of sickness, uh, fear of our neighbor, fear of witnessing. Lord, whatever it is, help us to trust in you. Help us to take your word as truth and to hold fast to that word. Not allow our hearts to be shaken or our minds moved or our resolve to be weakened. But let us hold fast to that word and achieve the purpose for which you have saved us. Oh God, help us to be lights today. Help us to be lights this week in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation that can't see the truth or understand your sovereignty or your goodness. Oh Lord, help us to be Joshua and Caleb this week. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.